Welcome to Faith Baptist Church on uh, May 10th, 2020. This is Mother's Day. I'm Pastor Schrader. We're glad to have you with us again as we record our message this morning and glad that you can join us uh, for this service. Before I begin my sermon this morning, Rachel Enlow is going to come and sing a song for us. Rachel. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou marvelous Lord, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my grateful Father, I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, thou and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O Thank you, Rachel, for that song. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and this is Mother's Day. I want to bring a Mother's Day message to you. I love Mother's Day. I love Mother's Day because I love my mother. Uh, though she passed away January 1, 2001, I miss her, and I know if your mother's not here, you miss her also. Mother's Day is an old tradition uh, for us in our country. It goes back to 1905 when a woman named Anna Jarvis wanted to honor her mother who had recently passed away. Her mother was a Civil War veteran and a nurse and had ministered to uh, soldiers on both sides of the battle. And she had passed away, and so Anna Jarvis wanted to honor her mother, and she asked her church, which was in West Virginia, if she could donate 500 white carnations to be distributed not only in the church but in the community to honor uh, mothers who had passed away. So they did that, and it turned out to be a wonderful thing. As a matter of fact, the government heard about it, discussed it for a few years, and in uh, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson uh, proclaimed 
the second Sunday of May every year as a national holiday called Mother's Day. And so we've been celebrating it ever since. And uh, one tradition that uh, remained is the white carnation. The reason I wear a white carnation every Mother's Day uh, is because of that tradition that was started. A white carnation signifies that your mother is deceased, no longer with us, or if your mother is living, people wear a colored carnation. And so uh, I do that to remember my mother on Mother's Day. We all had a mother, you know, named Eve. And uh, as a matter of fact, Genesis 3.20 says that Adam himself named her Eve, uh, the Bible says, because she was the mother of all living, and uh, she is. And so Adam is our first father, Eve is our first mother, and God created them so that he made the first marriage and therefore created the first family, and the family was the first divine institution on this earth and is the basis, the foundation for all society and uh, for uh, all families. So you are on this earth uh, because of a mother <laughs> and because of a father. And that's the way it has been since Adam and Eve, and that's the way it will be until the Lord does away with this earth. Uh, you're here because of a father, a female, and a mother, a male, and no matter what people want to say about changing that in some way, it will never change. That's the only way people will be on this earth. Well, we have an interesting verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1 to an interesting family, a family that you will know. And it's in verse 5 as Paul is writing to young Timothy, the last book that Paul will author. And he says in verse 5, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Well, uh, having a, a mother, as I said, is a unique thing. Uh, do you know that your mother had a mother? Did you ever stop and think about that? Do you know that your mother was a little girl one time and had a beautiful young mother, and your grandmother was a little girl one time and, and had a beautiful young mother? When we were pastoring in Fort Collins, Colorado years ago, Anne did daycare in our house, and so we always had little kids around that weren't ours, just from wherever, but our kids were beginning to, to get into the teenage years, and even our youngest, Matthew, was there one day, and he was getting to be kind of a big boy, and, and uh, Anne happened to say to one of the little kids in the house uh, to Matt, about Matthew, she said, that's my baby, and this little boy looked at him and said, wow, he's a big baby. <laughs> But, you know, we were all babies at one time, weren't we? And we all had a mother and uh, brought into this world. And so here's a, here's a unique family. We know Timothy, but we don't know much about his mother named Eunice or especially his grandmother named Lois, except for these kinds of verses just mentioning along the way. So as you look at this verse, we're, I want to talk to you about what I would call a generational family or a generation of mothers, uh, and that's what we see in this verse. I want you to notice one word in verse 5, if you will, with me as we begin, and that's the word dwelt. 
this genuine faith that is in you which dwelt, first in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice. I'm, I'm confident, he says, persuaded that this faith also dwells in you, he's saying to Timothy. That little word dwelt, I want to define here for a minute because it makes all the difference. It's a small word made up of the word in, we would say I-N, which means inside, and the word house, oikos. So it's in oikeo in the verb form, meaning the faith has made its house in you, taken up its residence in you. And this word is so unique that it's only used five times in the New Testament, and I want to give you those five because they're very unique also. The first one is in Romans 8.11, which says this, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise your mortal bodies. So first of all, the Spirit of God takes up its resident and makes its house in the believer. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, makes a house out of you. The next reference where, the verse, where this word is used is 2 Corinthians 6.16, which says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and be their God, and they shall be my people. I will dwell in them. So not only does the Holy Spirit make a residence out of you, dwells in you, but God the Father dwells in you. The third reference is Colossians 3.16, which simply says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And so the word of God dwells in you, takes up its residence, and lives in you. And then we have 2 Timothy, our verse here, where now the faith, once for all delivered unto the saints, the faith that we know dwells in you. And then in verse 14 of our chapter here, once again, it said that the Holy Spirit uh, dwells in us. Those are the five times where this word is used, and every time the word is used, it has a divine connotation. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The God the Father dwells in you. The Word of God dwells in you, and the faith dwells in you. So Paul uses this word and says to Timothy, I'm convinced that in your whole family tree, beginning with Lois, your grandmother, the faith has dwelt in you, also again in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced that it dwells in you too. And so in a godly home, faith dwells. Faith has taken up its resident and lives in us. So I want, to, I want to talk about four generations. I want to talk about four people, especially the mothers of these generations, and how Paul introduces them to us. Faith first dwelt in Grandma Lois, in Grandmother Lois. I have a Grandmother Lois. I had a Grandmother Lois. She lived to be 100 years old. Sadly, she never knew the Lord. Uh, but faith came to us in my other side of the family, my mother's side, uh, with my grandparents and so forth. But here you notice here in our verse, your grandmother Lois. Here's an interesting little tidbit. This is the only place in your Bible where you have the word grandmother. 
Interesting, isn't it? And usually when it refers to our grandparents, it refers to our ancestors or, or our elders or people like that. Here we have the word grandmother, and it's the word mame, or you might say mama. <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, we have nicknames for our grandparents. You know, little kids have nicknames, and they call their grandma or grandpa certain names. Mama, it is. And her name is Lois. Another interesting thing I think about these names is that Lois is the feminine ending for the Jewish name Lot. If you have Lois, you have the feminine. If you have Loat, Loet, then you have the, the masculine. And so here's a good Jewish name, Lois, the feminine uh, name for Lot, obviously, uh, a, a historic Jewish name. Now, Paul says that the faith dwelt first in her. It started with her. Kind of an interesting thing because this woman evidently was a Jewish woman. We don't know anything about her husband uh, or that. Probably in some Jewish formal genealogy somewhere, their names were listed. But as far as we know in the scripture, we don't know those names. But we know this name and we know a little bit about her. These people, Lois and Eunice and Timothy, lived in Galatia, in those areas uh, where, uh, where Paul went to preach on his first missionary journey. Now, here's this Jewish woman who evidently at the time that she gets saved is an older lady. And she probably, Eunice probably was even a young lady, maybe even a wife by then also. And so she's living in the area of Galatia, and this strange evangelist that they call Paul comes preaching into their area. We have it recorded in Acts 13 and 14. And he preaches, and evidently Lois says, I'm going to go hear this guy. You know, he, matter of fact, he's a Jewish man, and I know he's from Antioch in Pisidia right next door. And so I want to hear what he has to say. So Lois goes to hear Paul preach, and she gets saved. She receives the gospel. Now, I think, again, this was late in her life because of the, the, the chronology that we have here of, of Timothy's life. And Paul seems to know her, doesn't he? I mean, he points out her name and says, I know about her. I know about her faith. And even I know about Eunice also. And so she has this uh, uh, background with Paul. And though raised as a Jewish girl, and married to whom we're not sure, uh, she comes to faith, to true faith, by hearing Paul preach the gospel in her home area. So the faith begins there. Paul says, I know it began first in, in Lois. Do you know where faith first began in your family tree? You know, maybe on this side of the family or this side, uh, we kind of like to study genealogies these days. And it's kind of interesting. It's kind of nice, isn't it, to say, that's who first got saved in my family tree. That's who uh, heard the gospel, became a Christian, and then from there on, the family has, has uh, heard the gospel and been saved. That's kind of a, a beautiful thing to see. I was thinking that years ago, we took a, a vacation and went east with a couple of our kids. Some of them were grown, some of them were still with us. We went through Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and stopped to see all of the Amish uh, history and, and, and background. And one of the things I remember about the Amish uh, farms and families is that when you looked at a house, you saw multiple houses. 
In other words, they would have an original house that they built, and then when the kids grew up and the kids uh, got married, they would live in the same house. They would just build an addition onto the house. And then when their kids grew up, you had the third generation of Amish, then they would get married and they'd build another addition onto the house. And it was kind of funny. I remember our guide pointing out, you can tell by looking at the house how many generations live there as it goes from here to here to here to here. Well, that's the way the faith is in the Christian life, too. We ought to be able to look at our families and say, uh, there are the generations of faith. So Paul looks at this family and says, first, in Lois, because she came to Christ as Savior. Secondly, faith dwelt then in Mother Eunice, or in this case, daughter Eunice. And so we have also, I, uh, this faith dwelt first in, gra in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, mother Matri, father is Patri. You know, we, we get uh, patriarch and matriarch uh, from those words, padre from the word for father. So here's the matri, here's the, the mother and your mother. And I like the word Eunice. I'm defining a, a number of words here, I realize. But look at that word, that name Eunice. You see the word, the letters E-U. Remember always when we see those at the beginning of a word, it means good, eulogy, good words, eugenics, good genes, and so forth. And so here's the word good, and then when, when you see N-I-C-E, you really ought to see the name Nike. Though in English here it's spelled with a C, in the Greek it's spelled with a K. So good Nike means good victory, because that's the word for victory. Maybe Eunice... Maybe even Lois had a Greek father because you, a Greek husband, I mean, because Eunice has a Greek husband. She married a Greek. And maybe they then uh, named their child Eunice from a Greek background, meaning good victory. Who knows? But also, this faith dwells in her. Now, as I said, according to the chronology, uh, it's only going to be a, a year or two till Paul goes back to Galatia and finds Timothy as a young man who will travel with him. So Eunice is also older when she gets saved, and I'm supposing that she probably went to the services with mom, with Lois, and they both heard the gospel, and so Lois gets saved, and so does her daughter Eunice. I think her daughter Eunice probably was married at this time because she married a lost man. She married a Greek. Of course, they were both lost when they got married. This was kind of typical of the Jews in the diaspora and the dispersion. They lived among the Gentiles, and they intermarried, and so here's this Jewish girl who married a Greek young man. Now, we know that, of course, because in Acts 16, a few chapters after this, we find Paul going back to Galatia, and it says this, He came to Derbe and Lystra. Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And so what happened evidently is Eunice gets saved too, but the father does not want to be saved, whatever his name was. We don't know his name. And so he did not. And so now you have a saved mother, but a lost father, Timothy, a young boy at this point. And, and so uh, Eunice stays with him. 
he, she might have heard Paul's teaching that he writes out in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that if you find yourself in this kind of a situation where you get saved and your spouse does not get saved, if it's agreeable, stay together. That's what God would want. And so Eunice stays with him. And so Timothy grows up with a, a, a Christian mother, but a non, an unchristian father. Yet this girl, this Eunice, I think a, a young mother at this time or, or whatever, she's going to raise this boy as a Christian. Not going to raise him necessarily Jewish, though the Jewish scriptures are there, of course, our Old Testament. Uh, she's going to raise him not as a Greek either, as his father is, but she's going to raise him as a Christian. And we will see that uh, in our next thought. It's interesting to me, this verse in Galatians 3.28, where Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians was written right after this evangelistic trip to Galatia. And he comes back and he writes, and he realizes this family has been saved, and he writes back to Galatia and says there's neither Jew nor Greek when it comes to knowing Christ as Savior doesn't matter where you came from, uh, you're one in Christ. And so the generational faith that we have knows no boundaries. We can come into Christ from wherever we come from and whoever we are. It doesn't know race. It doesn't know gender here. It doesn't know social status. Now, my children uh, are a strange mixture. When I got married, I married into... Uh, 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 a, a strange family. I, I, I guess it was, you know, I don't know where they all came from, but uh, I, I uh, met my wife and took her home one time and realized, uh, you know, th this is strange. I don't even know what language they're speaking. I don't know, you know, how to pronounce the food, but I was a single guy who needed to eat. I ate the food and went on, and it was fine, you know. Uh, but it, it, her father... His favorite verse uh, was in Colossians 3.11 that says, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, Scythian, I should say, bond or free, Christ is all in all. He liked to refer to himself as Scythian, which were a group of nomads from Romania, Moldova, Ukraine, and Russia. And so he really was that. He's, that's his background in the Bible. Well, I'm the barbarian part of that. She's the Scythian part of that. And so our kids, have, you know, my wife born in Argentina to a father who was Ukrainian and immigrated to Argentina, a mother who was Russian, whose family came to Brazil, whose mother, grandmother was Polish. I mean, you know, uh, all of that in our kids. And yet my kids were just hillbillies, you know, on my side of the family. It doesn't matter. But what's interesting is Anne's family can go back to Anton, Tony, that's Peter's father, and tell you exactly where the faith came into that family tree. If they had not had to immigrate to South America before World War II, they may never have been saved. And so out of that tragedy, they uh, have to flee to South America. Grandpa gets saved, son gets saved, now the children get saved, and now grandchildren and great-grandchildren. That's where faith comes into the family tree. And so here we see first in Lois, 
Then in Eunice, now thirdly, faith dwells in son Timothy, grandson also Timothy. And Paul is convinced in him also. Now his name, uh, Timae, means honor. Theos, Timotheos, means God, to honor God. Uh, he was born to a Greek father, maybe his father gave him this name, but that's what his name means. And Paul says, I know faith dwells in you. Now, he was just a young man when Paul met him, but uh, look at, well, you, you can look across at 3.15 in this book that we have, 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul knows that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, no doubt the Jewish Scriptures and now the coming Christian Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So somewhere along the line, Timothy gets saved also. This boy, uh, the grandson of Lois, the son of Eunice and a Greek father. And when Timothy, or, or excuse me, Paul is writing 2 Timothy, now it's years later, and Timothy, believe it or not, is the pastor of the church at Ephesus, one of the greatest churches that we have in the New Testament. And this little boy has grown up in this family of faith, and now he's the pastor of the church. So in 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul had said, I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. You're the pastor. You charge that they teach no other doctrine than what is biblical. And also in, in our chapter, verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I ordained you, Timothy. I put my hands on you as an apostle on a young man uh, to ordain you to the ministry. And so here he is, young Timothy, and now he's the pastor. It's interesting because... If I said the word Timothy in reference to the Bible, you would know who I mean. But if I had said Lois, you might not have known at all who I was talking about or even Eunice, uh, unless you knew this verse right here. If I said to you the name Charles Spurgeon, I think everyone in this room or listening to me would know who I mean. But if I said John Spurgeon, would you know who I'm talking about? If I said James Spurgeon, would you know who I'm talking about? No. John was Charles's father. James was his grandfather. They were both preachers uh, in nonconformist churches in England. And uh, yet we know the grandson. There's a story about it, a true story, that Charles, when he was a little boy, he went to live with his grandfather for a few years. And while he was living with his grandfather, who was also a pastor, many people would come and go in the, in the home. And so one time, a traveling evangelist stayed with the Spurgeon family. His name was Mr. Nil, K-N-I-L-L. -L. And, and history knows nothing about him other than this. But he was a traveling, traveling evangelist, and he was there in the home staying overnight one night. Little Charles was a little boy running around in the house. And one night, Mr. Nil put his hand on Charles, the little boy, and he said these words, this child one day will preach the gospel and he will preach it to great multitudes. And that's why you know Charles Spurgeon and you know him as a preacher to great multitudes. And so, you know, though faith comes in way back there in the grandparents' generation, 
you never know where God is going to put his hand on a young man, even a woman to do great things for God, and let them serve him in great ways like he did uh, in these generations. I have one more uh, point, though, a fourth point, and that is faith dwelt in Timothy's children. You say, how do you know that? Well, I don't know it for sure, but I'm, I really imagine that Timothy got married and that Timothy had a wife and they had children. And I can be pretty sure that if that happened, which I imagine surely it did, that those children were also believers. Why do I know that? Well, one is because passing on your faith to your children, moms and grandmas and so forth, is a biblical mandate. Let me just read a few of the many Bible verses. Psalm 78, 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may raise up and declare them to their children. Four generations mentioned there. And Psalm 71, 18, now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. And even the prophet Joel in chapter 1, verse 3 said, tell your children of it, let your children tell their children and their children another generation. There are many statements like that, and I'm sure Lois and Eunice and Timothy took these scriptures to heart and taught them to their children. Secondly, I think that that's true because Timothy was a disciple maker. And Paul could write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1 and say, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And our first responsibility in evangelism and discipleship is to win our own children to Christ and to make sure they have eternal life. And I'm sure that Timothy did that. And not only that, thirdly, I would say I was, I'm sure about Timothy's children because he was a pastor. And Paul had written to Titus these words about pastors. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children. And so that was a requirement for uh, him as a pastor. And so the, the, the faith, beginning with one mother who comes to faith in Christ, passed on to these generations, is now all the way down to the fourth generation and dwelling, making a home in these people. It's a great history, if you ask me. So I have called this message a generational faith. And maybe that's simply... A secondary point because the primary point would be does this faith dwell in you have you opened your heart to the faith where the Holy Spirit comes in and regenerates you God the Father lives within you Jesus Christ dwells in your heart the Word of God dwells in you richly have you opened your heart to that Maybe you heard the faith from your father or your grandfather, your mother or your grandmother, or maybe not. Maybe you, you have no background in the faith. 
then you can be the first one. You can be the one where the faith first dwells. You start the family tree. You start this tradition. Come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and let it go from there. And even if you have been the only believer in your family and others have not been, then as the old statement goes, grow where you're planted. If this is where God has put you and this is where you live, then be the testimony to Jesus Christ where you are and God will use that. The Bible says clearly, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That gospel that came to Lois as Paul preached it, came to Eunice as Paul preached it, and then to Timothy even as a, a young man, the same faith can come to you if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I trust that you will, and I trust that you'll look back in your family tree and say, thank you, Lord, for bringing the faith into my family and passing it on to me. What a blessing we have on Mother's Day and Father's Day because of that very thing. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for Mother's Day. Thank you, Father, because uh, you gave us mothers and fathers. And then, Father, you have given us the faith which dwells in us and makes its abode in us. So thank you, Father, for bringing the faith to our family. Thank you for missionaries and pastors and evangelists and soul winners who have brought faith into new families. May it be so today. Wherever the gospel is preached, I pray that people would hear it and accept Christ and, and begin this faithful family tree. Thank you for our mothers who are so faithful to the Word of God and faithful in passing that on to us. Bless all of these mothers for it, and we thank you for our history, and we thank you for the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.